as Dean said, my name is Lyman Flinner, and just a kind of an introduction of why, why am I up here. Um, I remember one, Brent and David and Chad asked if Jeff, Pastor Jeff or myself could be, come over and fill while they were at the retreat, and I also pray. That is awesome that you allow that. Allow them a time to get away and refresh. That is, an, that is a great gift that just continues on. Um, I'm the Associate Pastor of Worship and Discipleship at Community Bible Church. I've been there on staff since 2019. My wife and I have been there f- since 2016. We've been married 27 years, three kids, three grandchildren. I know I look too young for that, but um, we're just blessed. Uh, grew up most of my time in Portland when it was a nice place to grow up in. Um, but we've been over here since 2004. I pastored Crescent Baptist Church for 10 and a half years. And then God slowly moved me up here. We live in Lapine. We serve in Sun River and wherever God calls us. So I, I really thank, are thankful for the opportunity to share God's word with my fellow brothers and sisters here at the door. So I thank you for this opportunity. Um, if you would open your Bibles to John 4. I'm going to start in John 4, chapter 4, um, verse 21 and 26. But as I go through, I'm going to be throughout the Bible. Um, it's, yes, it is a topical sermon today, but it's done, studied expositionally, so it's not just off the cuff. So John chapter 4, most of us know this story, the woman at the well. And I'm starting at verse 21. And Jesus said to her, woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you do not know, and we worship what we know, for salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship him in spirit and truth. And the woman said to him, I know that Messiah is coming, he who is called the Christ. When he comes, he will tell us all things. And Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. Going to back up and just, we all know the context, but it's a fantastic um, scene that happens here. And I think when we get familiar, we can, oh yeah, woman at the well, Jesus out there, she wants to know what a Jew is talking to her. But this is a fantastic dialogue, how God led this woman to a revelation of truth and who Christ is. One of the clearest proclamations that Jesus gives, um, Messiah, I'm talking to you. So Jesus is at the well at noon, six hour, it's hot. No one goes to the well when it's hot. Cool of the morning, cool of the evening, this woman comes. And through the story, we know the reason she's most likely coming there is because no one's supposed to be at the well. Five husbands now living with someone who isn't. She's coming to the well. And lo and behold, oh great, there's someone at the well. As she gets closer, and I'm thinking that she's thinking this, she's going, oh great, it's a Jew. Don't know how she tells, dress most likely. And Jesus says, 
give me water. And having been raised by the mother and grandmother that I was, in my, in my head, I hear their voice saying, uh, please. <laughs> but he just simply says in his loving, kind way, give me water. And now the conversation begins. What does, you, what does a Jew have to do with me? And he just unveils and draws her in to this wonderful revelation. And he says, you know, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that's saying to you, give me water, you'd ask of him. And he would have given you living water. She goes, oh, great. It's one of those Jews. You have absolutely nothing to draw the water out of the well. So how are you going to get this living water? Everyone who drinks of this water is going to get thirsty again, he tells her. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give will come in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. She responds very practically, give me this water so I don't have to be thirsty or I don't have to come here anymore. I don't have to walk the walk of shame every day knowing that no one talks to me, no one... Or they do, but they behind the back. So I want this water. Please, I never want to have to come to this place again. And if you want it kind of metaphorically, a place of shame. And he says, well, that's great. Go get your husband and come here. Oh, man. I have no husband. And I always think that Christ has a kind of a loving, knowing smile because she's saying the right things. He says, you're right in saying you don't have a husband. You've had five, and the guy you're living with isn't your husband. And he's not doing it in any condemnation. He's just simply, you're telling me right. And then he says an interesting phrase that I know I've read over and just kind of glassed over it. What you have said is true. He speaks about the condition of her heart. She didn't have she didn't know him from Adam, and it was a Jew. Jews think dogs are higher on the scale than Samaritans. I mean, dogs, Samaritans. That's where their worth is. You look have to walk through Samaritan and get out of Samaria. You take the your sandals, get the dust so you're not defiled. But he's looking what you said is true. And it speaks to what he talked to her when I read before. The time is coming and is now here when true believers will worship in spirit and in truth. And the Father is searching for such people to worship him. He's looking straight at her. And when he had announced what you said is true, she, he's speaking to your heart. And the Father is looking for you. And we know the rest of the story, you know. And really what the Greek says, he doesn't say, I'm the Messiah. He goes, I am is speaking to you. That great divine name of God himself, the ever-existence one. So I'm going to focus in on the worship and truth, which transcends and comes to us that God is still searching for those people 
who worship in spirit and truth. What does that look like? One thing that God did, because her big question is, after this, you're a prophet, so tell me how I can be a better person. Tell me how I can. No, she goes right to the crux. Where are we supposed to worship? You guys say Jerusalem. Our guys say here at Gerizim, Mount Gerizim. And he, Christ rips it apart. Wherever the people, the believers, are in spirit and truth, there is where worship is. Everywhere we are. Yes, the corporate worship is fantastic, and we are called to come together. Do not forget the coming together as some have. This, but it accentuates and also says, as you go out, each and every day of our lives is be, to be a day of worship for God. If you sing praises all day long, amen to that. If you're praying all day long, amen. But it elevates what we would consider the mundane things in our lives to actions of worship. Just going about through the day what you need to do. Men, husbands, I know you do the laundry for your wives because you're that kind of men. So you're like my wife, stay away from the laundry. You don't know how to separate the colors. But in and of itself, that can be an act of worship. There was a gentleman who lived in the 16th century. His name is Brother Lawrence. Became a monk. He became a monk because he thought that would make him a better righteous person because he couldn't wait. There's like eight in the Catholic at that time. There's like eight prayer times, three in the morning and on. And that's what he wanted to do because it would make him better. And they put him in to washing the dishes, the pots and pans. And he hated it because he needed to be doing the better thing of praying. But as he slowly kept day in, day out, washing pans, he would go to the prayer times, but then most of his day was washing pans. He began to realize that God was with him then and there. And in his life, washing of the pots and pans was a great act of worship and a great time of conversation with God himself. To the point that he would go to the allotted times and matins of compliance and all the rest. But he couldn't wait to get back to the kitchen, to the pots and pans. What he calls practicing the presence of God. This is what God wants from each of us. Not that we all end up in the kitchen washing pots and pans. But that no matter what we do, we strive. We wake up Monday morning. Father, this is your day. Paul tells me this is the day that the Lord has made and I will rejoice and be glad in it, whatever may come. But I want to walk with you. Scripture is full of, Paul talks about walking in a manner worthy. Lead me on your paths of righteousness, Lord. Your word is a light into my, lamp unto my feet and light unto my path. Show me how to walk and where to walk. That speaks of this intimate, personal relationship that we have. And God says, I want it deeper each and every day. So that when you drive to the, wherever you're driving to, that's an act of worship because I'm with you. Don't take it for granted and go from point A to point B and forget to even talk with me or share with me or listen for my voice. 
And I want you to be people who worship in spirit and in truth, which I feel in itself talks about a whole life type of worship. The spirit, spirit of God leading our spirit rightly, the truth, the word of God that we allow the Spirit to take this living Word of God, to put it upon our hearts, that we walk rightly in absolutely everything we do. And he says Spirit and truth because if you take one or the other away from it, it messes the whole thing up. If we worship in Spirit but we don't have the truth, things can get really messy, chaotic, and we can get off on paths that we don't know how to get back. But if we say, okay, I'm going to worship in truth. I really don't need the Spirit because that's kind of weird. I don't know. I don't like raising my hands or whatever. But I'm just going to worship in the truth. That becomes hard and cold because it's the Spirit that gives life. It's the Spirit that draws us to love one another in the midst of any type of conflict that says we are brothers and sisters. And first and foremost, we are body of Christ. That's why God says you are to worship in spirit and truth. So you worship rightly. You worship the truth, but you do so in love, mercy, and compassion that God has called us to. Paul talks about this in, it's in 1 Corinthians 14.4, and he's been talking about the gifts, the tongues. And he says, if I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my mind is unfruitful. What am I to do? I will pray with my spirit and I will pray with my mind also. I will sing praise with my spirit, and I will sing with my mind also. What he's saying is, when we sing these beautiful songs that we sing each Sunday or throughout the week, yes, there's that, you know, I like the chord changes. If you're a guitar player, I like the chord changes. I like what Colin's doing on the drums. But Father, let the truth of those words sink deep down. I'm singing a praise. I'm singing a prayer. I'm singing a declaration. This is who I want to be. This is who I am in you. That's what Paul's saying. I'm going to sing with my spirit, but I'm also going to let it change who I am each and every day. Whenever we open the word of truth, do we open it and say, Father, change me. Change me to deeper to who you've called and created me to be. I want to be this worshiper of truth and spirit because I know you're seeking them. A.W. Tozer talks about this, about worship. He says, worship is man's, all of our women's, full reason for existence. Worship is why we are born and why we are born again. Worship is the reason for our genesis in the first place and our regenesis that we call regenerations. Worship is why there is a church, the assembly of the redeemed in the first place. Every Christian church in every country across the world in every generation exists to worship God first, not second. Not tacking worship at the end of our service as an afterthought, but rather to worship God primarily with everything else coming second at best. Worshiping God is our first call. That's what he was telling the woman at the well. And her life was changed forever. And I'm absolutely certain we will see her in heaven as a sister in Christ. So as we walk this life of worship and daily going to God, we don't just say, oh, okay, worship spirit and truth, got it down, now everything's going to be easy down the road. It's 
a growing understanding. Father, I know that I don't know perfectly what that's supposed to be and how that's supposed to look in my life. So I need to be with you each and every day. I need you to lead me on these paths. I need to have you show me where I'm wrong and where I need to grow and let go, where I need to forgive, where I need to just chill at times. But there's also believers who strive to worship in spirit and truth, strive to walk in this presence of God. Ephesians 1, 4, 1, Therefore I, a prisoner of the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which we have been called. It's the only time we can say that we're worthy. Scripture tells us we weren't worthy to be saved. That's the whole humbling aspect of the gospel but I wasn't worthy to die for it. And God looks at us and goes, you're absolutely right. That's how much my love is for you, for who comes to me in repentance through my son, Jesus Christ. So Father, now that in Christ, I need to walk this path worthily so that I can worship in spirit and truth. What does that look like in my life? Yes, it means coming here to gather with my brothers and sisters because you've called us to that, and there's nothing greater as we've been worshiping through the week than to come in and say, I want you to tell you what I've seen God doing, not in my life only, but also throughout the as I've been coming and going, and then joining our worship together in greatness. It magnifies the worship even more, coming together, joining and letting things just go. Fathers, I come through these doors just all the stuff that we sometimes bring in. I hope the new guy, the guy who's filling in, doesn't talk too long because I've got a pot roast on the oven. I won't talk too long. I've got the holy clock and I'm watching it. (laughs) But I don't want anything in my way today, Father. I don't want anything to get in my way of worshiping with my brother Dean and, and the rest of you. I want to join my spirit with there as we lift up our voices and our hearts to you. As I was looking at that aspect, I always, I'm a musician, so sorry, I think in musician terms, but it's playing guitar at home is great, and I worship God while I'm kind of in my prayer closet, and I'm learning, and I'm growing in my guitar playing in my worship with God, but then you get to come to rehearsal, and you join with other musicians who have developed their gift, and the sum is greater than just the three and what's here. That's what God wants when he calls us, come and gather together. So believers who strive to worship in spirit and truth strive to walk in the presence of God. Brother Lawrence, and this is a quote from him, he says that we should establish our sense in ourselves in a sense of God's presence by continually conversing with him. And that it is a shameful thing to quit his conversation to think of trifles and fooleries. That we should feed and nourish our souls with high notions of God, which would yield us a great joy in being devoted to him. What he's saying is we should spend more time each and every day conversing with him than not conversing with him. Because of my age, people ask me, what are you going to do when you retire? And I go, well, God hasn't said I'd get to, but 
if that ever comes about, what's the first thing you're going to do? You're probably going to turn off your alarm. You get, no, I'm going to get rid of my phone. I'll get with you in a minute, God. Got a tweet, you know, or Facebook time. Ooh, game. More time is wasted on that. More time on what he calls the frivolous fooleries. How much time during the week do we honestly speak with God? And yes, he calls us to the prayer closet. Those are great times. I get up in the morning, have the devotion at evening. Father, thank you for not allowing me to die during the day of my foolishness. But he goes, Lyman, what about the time in between? I see you in the morning, and kind of sometimes you wave goodbye and you're off. What Brother Lawrence is challenging us to do is those in-between times can be glorious opportunities for God to speak into our lives. And that for us is to desire that, to strive. Father, I thank you for the morning devotion and the evening devotion and those times of prayer. Those scheduled times, those are, those are dear to me. But Father, I want my heart to speak to you throughout the middle of those that will raise those up even to a deeper relationship with you some commentators said it begins i think it was oswald chambers that becomes it becomes diligent you really have to force yourself oh yeah i'm dry oh yeah i haven't talked to father here i am let me be who i'm supposed to be at this meeting i'm going to and i just want to be your man at that time or whatever you're going to or i'm going to go get gas father lead me rightly Maybe I'm supposed to make a connection with the gas attendant I see every time I fill up gas to hopefully speak something into his life. You maybe. But that doesn't happen just by chance. It happens purposefully by people who are striving. I want to walk in your presence because I've walked in my presence and it doesn't end up good anytime. So believers who worship in spirit and truth, strive to walk in that presence of God. Believers who worship in spirit and truth strive to live in holiness. And that's probably one of those questions you can ask if you ever want to get a room quiet, is ask them how their holiness is doing. It's like, what's God doing in your life? And usually, oh, that quiets them down. And I'm not talking, Scripture's not talking when they talk about holiness as holier than thouness, which we can fall into. I know I have. It's talking about the walk that we develop that separates us from the influences and the passions of the flesh and walk closer and closer each and every day with God so that He can send us back into this world rightly. So we strive to live in holiness and sanctification. And that's sanctification, big seminary word. I have to use one in every sermon. It means you're being separated for God, for his purposes, for and live the life that Christ has given you through the Holy Spirit. Sanctification, which does not come into completion until either by death or rapture, Christ says, come home. And he completes it, not us. But we're called that while we're here, Father, less of the world, more of you. First Peter 1 at verse 13, it says, Therefore, preparing your minds for action and being of sober-minded, 
set your hope fully on the grace that we brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. But as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. I don't know about you, that scares me. There's time, I read that and it's like, I'm supposed to be holy like he is holy. And the Holy Spirit goes, yep, you finally got it, Lyman. Yeah, then don't make me, I don't want to go anywhere because I will screw it up. Yep, you will. But if you strive to walk in my Father's presence, in Christ's name, guided by me, more and more your relationship with him will grow. More and more your holiness will grow. And I'm going to keep saying, not your holier than thouness. It's a relationship with him. Not, you know, I don't come up to Dean and go, hey, Dean, pretty holy today. How about you? But there's something that happens in our lives. I've, when I've worked at, um, I was a pharmacy tech for a while. Didn't really have time to get to know everybody, but you get working. It's really interesting how believers find each other without having a big tag on their saying, Christian, how about you? It's, you, so you, you're a believer? And we always do this. Yeah. You? We find each other. It's that relationship with God. It's that holiness that only believers understand. Unbelievers see something. They don't understand it. And either they'll just, you weirdos, or they'll wait until you're alone and they'll say, can I ask you something? What do you have? You don't walk this life the same way. You don't treat, you treat people, what, what do you have? The woman of the well. Where am I supposed to, what, what do you have? What a wonderful opportunity to say, oh, I've got nothing but Jesus Christ, who is everything in himself. We strive for holiness. And I have to admit and confess, I am bad at waking up each morning and saying, Father, I want to be holier now than I was yesterday and holier tomorrow than I was today. I'm really bad. In fact, I probably need to challenge myself more. And as we do that, we have more of an introspect in our lives of how we're interacting with one another, how we face being cut off in the highway, how we, oh, it's a long line at the grocery store. Oh, it's that grocery check. She talks with everybody. Yeah, that means she'll talk with you when you get up there. And if you are in the right frame of mind and actually going, oh, God's with me too, you might treat her with a little more respect. You have a great opportunity. But again, it doesn't happen just haphazardly. We go to church and I read my Bible. It's daily. Father, I know yesterday was a bust for me. Forgive me. But I truly want to be your holy person today. I want to walk with you today. I want to strive for that so that this day is a day of worship in everything I do. Spurgeon on holiness says this, if Christ has died for me, 
ungodly as I am, without strength as I am, then I can no longer live in sin, but must arouse myself to love and serve him who has redeemed me. I cannot trifle with the evil that killed my best friend. I must be holy for his sake. How can I live in sin when he has died to save me from it? There are going to be days when we have to be, I know I am, on my knees, Father, forgive me. I allowed sin to rule me more than you. Forgive me for dishonoring that in you. And he cleans us up and he says, I know. Go once again, my good and faithful servant. So walking in the presence of God, striving to live that holiness that he's called us to, not letting the world impact us or change us or transform us, but walk as the righteous of God, being holy because he is holy and he calls us to that through Jesus Christ. But believers who worship in spirit and truth also strive to be living sacrifices. Great. A living sacrifice. A sacrifice is given totally over to God. If you've read any of the Levitical, a sacrifice gives its life to God to have God do whatever, and we know that they get burned up. And, but Paul says, God's calling you to be a living sacrifice, to give your life to him. Everything you do is for him, for his glory, for his honor, for your opportunity to share why you live this way and to lift me up for them to see. Paul in chapter 12, and we familiar, I appealed for you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God and what is good and acceptable. In those phrases, Paul's talking about you've got, if we're going to know what the will of God is, we've got to be in the truth, being letting the Holy Spirit guide and lead us and empower us. Because it's scary going up to, I'm going up to someone you have no idea with if God is prompting you to say, do you know Jesus Christ? Some people can do it, and I, I am awed by them. Me, it's like, oh, and the Holy Spirit's just, come on, man. But if we aren't in the presence of God, that daily relationship with him, if we're not striving to be holy, we can't be in the renewal of our minds. We will be conformed to the, to the world, rather being transformed. So even in this, it's talking about being in the presence of God, walking in a manner that is worthy of him, walking in holiness. And then he says, and in doing that, you are living your life as living sacrifices for him. It's what Christ meant when he said, you want to follow me? Well, go get a 401k, get a lot of money in your... He says, nope. Deny yourself. Take up your cross and follow me. Paul lets us know, because you're living sacrifices. Follow me in everything you say or do. When we speak, let our words be graceful, that for edifying and building up, not for tearing down. 
The enemy does that so well. We are called to edify, lift up people. I'm a chaplain for first responders. Um, and we get called to scenes often. It is amazing what a simple, kind, gentle word will do for someone who's in crisis. Whether it's from the deputies or from the chaplain on scene. They're hurting. They don't know what's going on. And someone just simply says to them, we're here for you. That's the same for each one of us. There's people, unbelievers, they don't even know they're in crisis. But they are. And they expect some Christians to basically use the book of truth as the hammer of truth without the spirit and just hammer them and let them know just how sinful they are. The book is full of great scenes. One of my, the ones that I love is Christ the leper and the scene Christ doesn't go, you're healed. He reaches out to touch the leper. I guarantee you the minute that leper saw that hand, number one, the leper knew who he was talking to. He's talking to the great rabbi. Whoever this guy, this guy is, him and God are, boom. and this guy is reaching out to touch him. Christ's not caring about himself. He's with God. He knows what he needs to do. I guarantee you the healing of that leper began when he saw that arm reaching out because they're knowing it's supposed to touch him. He's lived a life. No one touches me. No one talks to me. If you touch me, you're defiled. You can't go to God. And here's the great rabbi. That's what, looking, that's what living a living sacrifice looks like. I'm with God. We're doing what he's called us to do. We're walking in his holiness, in his righteousness, led by his word, empowered by the Holy Spirit. What in the world do I have to fear about anything? Father, just show me what you want me to do. And yes, that is easier said than done. It takes a lifetime. But if we're allowing God to work through us, we will see miracles and mighty works being done. Striving each and every day to live your life as a living sacrifice. And I don't want to get the feeling that, okay, first, okay, check box one, presence of God, got it, check. Now I go to day two, holiness, check. Sacrifice, check. They all are working simultaneously as we draw closer to God we find our holiness is is growing and we're finding living sacrifice isn't quite as scary as it once was and as we live as a sacrifice and it all just grows and blossoms to pray each and every day Father I, I by your word because I know I'm not but I want to be holy and acceptable to you in everything that I do that also means that at times we're going to have to ask forgiveness from him, but also probably go to other people and say, you knew when I bit your head off that one time? I was wrong. And I'm sorry for the pain that caused you. And maybe the embarrassment if I did it publicly. 
And if you did it publicly, you let other people know. What I did, on me, and I was wrong. But that doesn't happen unless we are striving. Father, I just want to be who you've called and created me to be. Show me what that looks like. And we'll find that our prayers are deepened. Our time with him is expanded. The songs take on a whole different meaning to us because we're not just singing, we're responding to him. Father, I'm singing it to you because of who you are and now who you are. I'm responding to your presence in my life. I want to be this holy sacrifice, holy and acceptable. I truly want to be transformed each and every day so I can know what your perfect will is. And finally, and this is truly finally, not a pastor's finally. (laughs) That's the fourth finally he said all day. Believers who worship in spirit and truth do not forsake the gathering and the fellowship of believers. This should be one of the most precious times in the week. Through the week, we're walking and living this life that God has given us, this precious gift saying, I get to send you out, and you get to share Christ with me, however I determine that looks in your life. It may take a week, a month, may take a one time only, but that's on me. You just be open to my leading. And as we're looking, we can't wait to get back to this time because it tells us and reminds us we're not alone. Each one of us needs to understand we cannot be the Christians and the believers that God has called us to be without each other. Because scripture is pretty clear also tell us, in what I've called you to do, Lyman, you're complete. What I've called you to be in me, not so much. You need all of them. And they need you. For my glory, for my sake. Empowered by the Holy Spirit. This is a precious time of just gathering and telling the world, you stay out there. This is God's time. And we say, Father, we, in our prayers, in our songs, in our times of quiet, in the message, it's for you and only you. Lead us on rightly. Peter speaks of the, of the gathering of the people, but it may not be what you think. It's 1 Peter 2, 9 and 12, and he says, you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people of his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh that wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. And some commentators argue on what the day of visitation is. Some say partly it's when if ever they are saved or when they finally understand when he returns the second time, oh my word, they were right. And they have to submit to him 
sadly, to their condemnation where we humbly submit to our ultimate glorification. But what Paul, Peter is talking about here is we've been called out of the world. He doesn't say that, Peter, that you're a chosen person, uh, a royal priest, a holy individual, a person for his own position. He says, I'm calling you out. And you're a royal, you're a member of the royal priesthood. The priesthood of believers. How many of you woke up this morning going, you know, royal priest. Thank you, Lord. How many of you have gone through a week thinking to yourself, I'm facing this day as his royal priest? Anybody? I'm just asking. I, when I think about it, but on a daily basis, I forget. I'm a royal priest. When are we not a royal priest? Never. Once we've come to Christ, we are the royal priest. He calls his priest to continue to be holy, to walk in a manner worthy, to strive for his presence so that we can share. Why do you guys live this way? I mean, people call you names. Yeah, Scripture says if they call you names because of Christ, yay! Don't let them call you names because you deserve to be called a name. But if you're being persecuted, if you're being hurt, if you're being whatever, but it's because of Christ, Father, thank you. With your help, I got it right today. That's what he's calling us to be when we're living sacrifices. And he says, don't worry. I got you in all of this. Elsewhere in Romans, he says, you're more than conquerors. Who can stand against you if God is for you? Amen. That is what we are called in our worship. Yes, sometimes we make the mistake of worship is only the singing portion of the service but as we strive and know that every aspect of our life is to be a worship to him everything is worship the music becomes beyond belief the messages the prayer the interaction our very lives continually change in the relationship we have with jesus christ and i'll leave you with this that we as believers Followers of Christ are called by God to live in an ever-deepening relationship with Him through Christ Jesus, empowered and led by the Holy Spirit through the Word of God, that we walk in a manner that is worthy of Him, in which we are convicted, challenged, and changed in our relationship with God, the world, fellow believers, and ourselves. We present our bodies daily as a living sacrifice, as used of God, being people of the Word and of prayer, joining with other believers in local gatherings striving to surrender absolutely to, to him who saves us so that we may worship him in spirit and in truth. Amen. Let us pray. A gracious Heavenly Father, Lord, I thank you for this opportunity to briefly share with my brothers and sisters here. Father, change us each and every day. We want to grow deeper and deeper in our relationship with you, Lord that we may truly be these people who each and every day strive to worship in truth and in spirit. 
And Father, through that time, open our eyes to the opportunities that we can share the good news of Jesus Christ. That in him and only in him is there escape from the condemnation that is coming. But Father, that there is life and life abundantly found in Jesus Christ. May everything we do and say be to your glory in the name of Christ and Father empowered by your Holy Spirit. Lord, we ask this in your Son's blessed and holy name. Amen.